Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, this morning, I just want to ask you, have, have you ever, uh, how many, how many uh, hate tests, taking tests? Anybody hate taking tests? I'm, I'm finishing up my master's program, and I got to be honest with you, sometimes uh, I just am not, not a fan of, of tests and the examinations. As I was just kind of getting ready for uh, this morning, I ran across some impossible test questions that I think would, would strike fear in the heart of anybody uh, who, who is a test taker, let alone those who don't like tests to begin with. Uh, for instance, for the final exam of a history class, this was, the, this was the final exam question. Describe the history of the papacy from its origins to the present day, concentrating on its social, political, economic, religious, and philosophical impact on Europe, Asia, America, and Africa. Be brief, concise, and specific. <laughs> yeah, right? Or, or one for, for a medical student. You have been provided with a razor blade, a piece of gauze, gauze and a bottle of scotch. Remove your appendix. Do not suture until your work has been inspected by the professor. You have 15 minutes. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, I don't think so. Or an engineering student. Here's one. The disassembled parts of a high-powered rifle have been placed in a box on your desk. You will find an instruction manual printed in Swahili. In 10 minutes, a hungry Bengal tiger will be admitted into the test room. Take whatever action you feel appropriate and be prepared to justify your decision. Ouch, right? Or define the universe and give three examples. <laughs> Uh, impossible test questions, and even those that, are, that seem like they're obvious, even test questions at times that might seem like they're obvious, can also be, uh, uh, can, can be tricky. For instance, in answer to this question, how long did the Hundred Year War last? The, 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 the obvious answer, you might think, would be a hundred years. It was actually 116 years. Or, <laughs> some of you knew that. Which manufacturers, or which country, excuse me, manufactures Panama hats? It isn't Panama. It's Ecuador. Ecuador. Or how about this one? From what animal do we get cat gut? You don't get it from a cat. It's either a sheep or horse. Or in which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? Who said it? Somebody said it. What is it? No, not October. November. You might think October, November. Or what was King George the first first name? Everybody knows it was Albert. Test questions, right? Many test takers are glad to be out of school. Many of you perhaps are glad you don't have to take any tests and are glad that we're not grading the ones like these. But uh, as far as we know, even if we try to get away from academic life, in all of our lives, we have certain tests that we come up against, certain things that, that we have to take. For instance, how many had to take a driver's test at some point? How many glad you don't have to take that again? Uh, right? Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> we take eye tests and some people have to take polygraph tests or drug tests or entrance exams and tests are, are a part of life. But today I want to talk about some tests that we can look at, some tests that we can kind of examine our life against to see if we're spiritually on the right track. Are we spiritually on the right track? In fact, one of the main purposes of the book of 1 John uh, is so that we may know or so that we may have confidence in our faith or our relationship with Jesus Christ, where we stand in our relationship with the Lord. And you can't separate the person of Jesus Christ from the message or the teaching about salvation or eternal life. Last week, we looked at some false claims regarding sin. If we claim to be in the light or have his light in our lives, and yet we choose to practice sin, Scripture says that we actually are deceived and we walk in darkness. Similarly, if we claim that we don't have a nature, that there's no sin in our nature, that we do not sin, that we are without sin, we do not sin, it's not even a part of our lives, we are equally deceived. And we learn that we can have standing in our confidence with God because Jesus is both our advocate and he was the propitiation. Remember that big word, propitiation, meaning he was the one who paid the penalty, paid the claim that was against us due to our sin. And, and therefore, that sin has no claim against us because of the, the wrath of the holy God doesn't have any claim against us because Jesus Christ satisfied that. We talked about that last week. But first, we need to determine how we spiritually treat sin. That was the first test that we, we kind of took a look at. And this morning, we're going to continue in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 12, and we're going to see a couple more tests to help us examine whether our faith is genuine, whether our faith is genuine. The first test that we find is what I might call or summarize as the moral test. The moral test. And this, this is following the claims regarding sin and, and the position that a, that a true believer has before God because of what Jesus Christ has done. But yet again, John, writing to believers, begins to share some more false claims. And we see this in verse 3 of, of 1 John chapter 2. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. You can follow along God's word. We have the app notes that are there available on that church center app for you to follow along as well or on the screen. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning with this. And we can be sure, again, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, listen to this, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Live their lives as Jesus did. The, the moral test. In verse 4, we find the claim that, that, that there were some, some believers and making some claims. And so John is, is, is looking at those claims and he's saying, listen, if someone claims, I know God. If someone claims, I know God. What he emphasizes here is that there are some things that ought to follow that claim. If I say I know God, there ought to be some actions of my life that follow the claim that I have making and that people who know God ought to exhibit in their lives. 
John says that knowledge is much more than just intellect saying, I know about something. It's more than just an intellect. And, and, and he emphasizes that true Christianity is not so much about what you know. It's more about who you know. That's what he's saying. It's not about what I know. It's about who I know. True Christianity is not evidenced by a full head, but a changed heart. It's about a changed heart. It's not so, mere, so much merely about a head knowledge. It's more about a heart knowledge. It's what's in our heart. It's not just what we've been read or what we've been told, but it's also about this encounter, this relationship with Jesus Christ and the transformation that he does inside of us, the fellowship that we have as he manifests himself to us ought to be manifested in practical ways in the person who says, I know God. What is that? He says, I know God, right? And, and this is what it says. If we, if we, we can be sure that if we obey his command, if someone claims I know God, but look at this, doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Obedience is, is to, to, to the commandments of God, to the word of God. That obedience is a, a reflection of what that person truly believes, what kind of faith they truly have. This is something that if you read through the book of James, it, it says the same thing in the book of James. That's what James is kind of talking about, is that who can say they have faith without works? Faith without works is, those of you who've been around church, what is it? It's dead. Right? Because what I say I believe ought to be evidenced by what I do or how I live my life. Now, this idea of no in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, it says this, the New King James Version. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. The Hebrew word knew here is much more. It's a very, it's an intimate word. We're talking about a sexual relationship, intimate word. He had sexual relations between a husband and a wife. It means that Adam knew Eve intimately. That's the kind of knowledge. True knowledge of God is not just knowledge about him. But you know God intimately. You know Jesus Christ in an intimate way, a relational way, a fellowship way. And because of what Jesus Christ did as our advocate and as our propitiation against sin, what that means is, is that you and I now have nothing that blocks that fellowship. And we can be in relationship and have a relationship with God. And the evidence of a relationship with God, I know God, is a life of obedience. It's a life of obedience. It's more than, than just about how much we know knowledge-wise. Even how many verses we can memorize or spit out. But does our life, is our life an evidence of the changes inside of us? If you know him, you obey what he commands. Knowledge of God and, and who he is is also a, a, about what he has done. And they lead us to a life that says, I want to please God. When I know him, when I truly know him, when I'm in relationship with him, I am changed and I want to obey him. My desires and my wants change. You see, the first test of whether you are genuinely a believer, have genuine faith is not so much about what you know, 
Not so much about what you know, but about who you know and how much you desire to obey the Lord. 1 John 2, 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Truly show how completely they love him. Loving God is linked with obeying God. And the word following obeying God is different. Notice that in verse 4, notice the words in verse 4, they say this, that, that if someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments. But then look at verse 5. And in verse 5, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. You see a, a, a transition from, from what he commands to his word. To his word. That, that's something that John does quite often. In fact, in his own gospel, when John wrote about the life of Jesus in his gospel, this is, what, this is how he illustrates what Jesus himself said. He's not giving us something that, that Jesus didn't himself teach. John 14, 15, Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments, keep my commandments. But then you skip down a few verses later and you get John 14, 23, who says, if anyone loves me, Jesus said this, he will keep my word. There's a difference between wanting to do the commandments of God and wanting to obey the word of God. Wanting to obey the word of God. It's, give me give me a little illustration. Suppose there's a, a young man and, and he comes home from school and his father says to him, his name, we'll just call him Bob. And, and, and his father says, Bob, I want you to take out the garbage and I want you to wash the car. Those are specific commandments from his father. But suppose Bob just really loves his dad and he overhears his dad talking with someone on the phone and his dad is just talking about how overwhelmed and tired he is and man it's fall and he really wishes somebody would clean up the leaves in the yard he just doesn't know how he's going to have enough energy to clean the leaves up in the yard and just mow it one more time and uh, and all of a sudden bob says you know what i love my dad so much that 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 you know what i'm going to take care of that for him and so Bob goes out and Bob rakes the, the yard and, and, and mows the yard, not because it was a commandment, something that his dad told him he had to do, but rather because he overheard a, a, a desire of his father and wanted to obey him and wanted to obey him. You see, there's a difference. A relationship with Jesus Christ is not so much about about having to obey his commands. I have to. I must. It becomes drudgery. Oh, these are the command. Do not do this and do not do that and do this and, and, and don't do that. But see, when we really know God, there's a desire that changes in our heart to where rather than I have to obey him, it becomes I want to obey him. I want to please him. I want to obey him. There's an, there's an internalizing of his word that transforms in our heart, that begins to get deep down in our heart, and it begins to change our desires that his desires become our desires. His desires become our desires. That's the moral test. If you, if you claim to know God, let me ask you, do you do what he commands? If you claim that you know God, I love you, God. Do you obey his word? Do you obey his word? Second is the social test. Throughout scripture, we see that our vertical relationship with God ought to impact our horizontal relationships with one another. 
God is not only concerned about our relationship with him, but our relationship with him ought to transform our relationship or impact our relationship and how we interact with others. Particularly here, he's talking about other believers within the faith. Let's read it together. First John chapter two, starting in verse seven. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one that you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. Yet, it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. And anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. And John says, I'm giving you something that is, that is it, this is not a new commandment. This is something you've heard before. He's, he's summarizing something they've heard before. In fact, Jesus kind of highlights this and, and when, when he had an interaction in Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40, he's, he's kind of summarizing. Someone came up and they said, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, this was not a new commandment. Jesus was summing up what was already in the Old Testament. Yet, what, what John says, although it's not a new commandment, it is new because it was evidenced and lived out by the example of Jesus Christ himself. And now that we are in Christ, now what Christ has done as we know him, if we claim that we know him, then it ought to, then we ought to be following him, his example, following what he does, and it ought to impact us socially and our relationship with others. In other words, anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and yet hates a fellow brother or sister in the Lord is living in evil and darkness, thereby ruining not only their own life and relationships, but impacting the church itself. John deals with the subject of loving others throughout his letter. We're going to see this throughout. Let me just highlight a couple of them. 1 John 4, 20 he says this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Wow. First John 3, 15. Let's, we're going to work our way from the back to the front. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. A murderer. 1 John 2, 11, but whoever hates his brother and is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See the groupings that are happening here? Light and love. Light and love go hand in hand. Darkness is linked with hatred. And just as we talked about last week and the idea that in God there is no duality, there is no light and darkness in the same personhood of God. God is light, so the same God is love, and in him is no hatred. Therefore, when we are in God, love and hatred, love and those kind of cannot coexist within us. 
cannot coexist within us. It indicates that, 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 again, we experience the true love of Jesus. And as we do, just as light dispels the darkness, as we are in this relationship with Jesus, so too the, the hatred or the anger or the unforgiveness that is in our heart should, should begin to melt away just as light permeates darkness. A true test of whether we're in a right relationship with God is whether we live out our faith in relationship with others. Do we love others? Do we live our lives with grace and forgiveness? Theologian commentator John Stott, I love this quote. He said, the true Christian who knows God and walks in the light both obeys God and loves his brother. The genuineness of his faith is seen in right relationship with both God and fellow human beings. And Jesus said this in John 15, 12, and 13. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And certainly that was the example of Jesus, wasn't it? That Jesus laid down his life in love for us. This just comes just a few verses after Jesus talks about being connected to the vine in John chapter 15. And it shows again that there's a link between walking in the light and staying connected in our relationship with Jesus. And the life that continues to flow through us. That as we stay connected to him and as we know him, so too the transformation that takes place in our hearts moves out and impacts others around us. It impacts others around us. Next, the maturity test. That's the third one. This is the one that measures whether we're growing in our faith. And this is kind of a tricky passage as we look at it in, in 1 John chapter 2. A bit of a tricky passage. Starting in verse 12, I write to you. Look at this. There's three categories. See if you can pick them out. I write to you, dear children... Because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you fathers. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men. Because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you dear children. Because you've known the father. And I write to you fathers. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you young men. Because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. And John is, again, he's writing a letter, as we talked about, to uh, churches, to believers, those who are in the region of what is modern-day Turkey and, and following a similar pattern, the churches that we see uh, when, when we read Revelation and the seven churches in Revelation. But, but John is, is, is addressing three groupings of people. And what he's really getting at here is a, a process of spiritual maturity. He's mapping out for us this idea that, 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 that spiritual maturity, although, although he's highlighting children and fathers and young men, has less to do with age and has more to do with our spiritual growth and our fruit. And again, these three groups represent levels of spiritual maturity. The first one is children. He begins with this, dear children. Dear children, writing to them as, as someone who, who, who loves them and cares about them. Dear children, it, it represents those who are newer to the faith. When you're, when you're a child, you're just learning things. You're, you're newer to the faith. And, and, and these new believers were learning the foundations of the faith. And notice he gives them 
twofold. He gives a twofold reason here as they are newer in the faith. Notice he says the first is because your sins are forgiven. And then the second time he says to your children, he says that you know the Father or you're, you, you're known by the Father. What he's talking about here in this is a, a, the basics of their faith. They've come to recognize their sin and their need for forgiveness. And that's the first step. When you first come to Jesus Christ, the first step in the spiritual journey, the first step in infancy and being a child in the faith is I first come and I recognize my need for a savior. I need a savior. I've got sin in my life. I've sinned against God. I need a savior. And then I come to a knowledge of his grace and his mercy in my life. I come to a knowledge of his love in my life. And, and so not only do I know that my sins are forgiven, but I also begin to recognize this incredible relationship that I have with the Lord as I begin to know him. As I begin to know him. And as they begin to, to know the Father, they, they, they have a beginning point. There's a beginning point to spiritual maturity. The Christian faith begins at this foundational level of understanding sin and forgiveness and learning how to love our Heavenly Father. The second grouping is fathers. And the fathers represent more mature believers, the, the ones who have been growing in the faith for a while, and, and they have a deep understanding of God and his truth. And he, he repeats, what he writes to them, he repeats twice. He, it, it almost doesn't even change. And he says, I write to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. What's he getting at? What, what is John getting at when he's talking about fathers because you have known him who's from the beginning? What, what's he getting at? Well, what he's saying is, as you move beyond just this idea of, 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 thank you, Jesus, you've forgiven me of my sin. And you've, you've moved into a place where you know that he has been faithful. He who is from the beginning, that he has been faithful. As you have lived your life and as you've walked with him, you've begun to, as, as, as someone more mature in the faith, you've begun to experience things. And maybe for, for a little bit of time in those, in those things, you, you, you struggled and you, you pressed through the struggle. And, and on the other side, as you look at certain situations, you say, I know him who is from the beginning. I know he is faithful. I know that no matter what, he has been faithful in my life and my faith is not shaken. My faith is not shaken. I know who he is. I know that he is the Logos, that he is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That was something that John wrote in his gospel right in the very beginning. And so when he says, fathers, I, you, you have known him who is from the beginning. What he's saying is you are those who know his word. You are those who know his faithfulness. You are those that have walked with him and that you, you have found a, a solidness in who he is no matter what goes on. No matter what happens, you know, you see spiritually mature people understand the faithfulness of God in a way that, that newer believers and even as those in the third category that we're going to talk about, those that are young in their faith or, or in that area don't. They haven't gotten that part yet. Psalm 89 two. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. See, when we're, when we're infants in the faith or children in the faith or even when we're, when we're young in our faith, we can be tossed back and forth by every storm, by every whim, by every problem, by every situation. We find ourselves being tossed back and forth 
back and forth in our struggle. We struggle with, does God really love us? Is this, can we, can we really, do we really have a confidence in our faith? Do I, do I really know the Lord? Over time, the zeal and the newness of a, a new believer can get worn down by the difficulties that come. But those who are truly mature in the faith Take those things in stride. They're, they're not bumped by, by the latest thing that happens to come up in their life that knocks them off course or, or that comes up. They, they have been around. They have encountered. They, they know there's a faithfulness of God that, that they've encountered and they know that he is from the beginning and that he is faithful. And, and, and no matter what comes up, it doesn't take them off course. It doesn't take them off course. Why? Because God is faithful and he does not change. His love does not change. Third category, it says young men. Young men, we're not singing YMCA. Sorry, that was off the cuff. Sometimes things just trigger things. Please say I'm not the only one. These are the young, young folks here that, that he's talking about here. The, these are people that are growing in their faith, active in their faith, growing in their faith. They're, 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 they're not quite new in the faith, but they, they haven't yet reached the place of maturity. That's kind of that, that, that in-between area. They're not new. They, they, they've had some experiences, but, but not quite enough. And when I say they've had some experiences, they've had some battles. And as a result of that, they've, faced some, they've experienced some victories. Notice that, that, that when he writes about uh, this idea of, of those who are, who are young, he says, I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. Because you have overcome, meaning that they've had some battles and some temptations, but they've also experienced some victory. They've experienced some victory by trusting in the Lord. And, and then I, I write to you, young man, because you are strong and God's word lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Using overcome twice, this idea that, that there is an internalizing of the word of God that is taking place. And through, through every battle, through every, every opposition, every temptation of the enemy, every struggle, every storm, as, 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 as those who are maturing begin to press in and press in a little bit more and press in a little bit more and you begin to experience when you you're in that phase, you begin to experience the, the tension, but you press in and you persevere and you stay there and you experience the victory on the other side. You, you're right there in the middle and you, you say, you know what? No, I'm going to obey the Lord in this. I'm not going to give up. When I'm a child, when I'm, when I'm, a, when I'm young, I might, I might give up. I might fall into temptation a little bit more. I might find myself giving back over again. Oh man, I messed up. Oh man. Oh, oh. But then all of a sudden, your faith begins to grow to a new level and you begin to experience some victories. And you, you begin to say, oh, the spirit living in me is greater than, than he that is in the world. That I, I can overcome this temptation by, by, by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. But I, I, I can begin to internalize and begin to use the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And I, I can begin to, to, to understand the deceptions of the enemy because I'm, I'm growing in my relationship with him. And so when you're in that place of, the, uh, of that, you're, you're learning how to overcome the enemy. You're learning how to, how to get victory. You're learning how to get those, those victories. There's a new strength that's developing in your life that was not there when you were in the childhood or the infancy stage. Come on, somebody. The reality of this entire part of the maturity and the question that we ought to ask ourselves is, are we growing in our faith? Are we growing in spiritual maturity? 
Are we growing in spiritual maturity? Are we, or, or are we at the same level we've always been? Or are we at the same level that we've always been? And that's a danger. Being at the same level that we've always been is a danger. If we're not moving and growing in our faith, it's dangerous. In fact, if you're not growing in your faith, you might be stagnating in your faith. Perhaps you're at the children level. You're just getting started learning how to obey the Lord. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up. Let me encourage you, don't give up. If you've just started in this relationship with the Lord, don't give up. You will find that as you begin to trust Him and as you begin to grow in this relationship with Him, that you will find that obeying the Lord becomes a little bit easier the more you do it. It's like, it's like a muscle that has to grow, right? Right? You, 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 you got to keep working it. You got to keep, you got to keep working out. And, and as you're pressed and as you, as you persevere, you become stronger and able to overcome. But if you say, man, I just started, this is so difficult. I don't, this is, man, I got so excited. I thought this was the answer to everything. And now all of a sudden my world seems to be falling apart. How many of you, when you first came to know the Lord, you got really excited. Then all of a sudden all the trials and, and things just really like, it felt like your world just started to fall apart. Is there anybody in here? I'll put up both hands. Come on. Come on. Encourage those around us, okay? Can I just tell you that's normal because that's a part of the journey to maturity. You will not get to maturity if you don't go through those things. If you don't hang in there and learn how to trust God in those moments, you will never get to the place with a young man where you begin to experience the victories that take place in your life. In that stage of maturity, and you'll never get to the father, the father stage of maturity if you don't go through that process. If you don't go through that process. But... Let me encourage you, don't get stuck there. We can get stuck in the childhood phase or as Paul talks about the infancy stage. Paul addressed some frustration that he had with believers in Corinth who were not growing. He had planted a church in the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church, and he began to write back to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And listen to what he writes in verses 1 to 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? What's Paul highlighting here? Paul is saying that, that the social test is a problem. They're not growing in their faith where it's impacting their relationship with others and there is strife and there is jealousy and there is division and there is a lack of growth in them. And he says, you're stuck in the infancy stage. You haven't moved past the infancy stage. Friends, can I encourage you as believers in Jesus, as we examine our lives, are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? Is it evidenced in your relationship with others? Or are you stuck in childhood and infancy? Maturity is learning how to overcome the desires of the flesh. Notice that the mark of infancy is being people of the flesh. Pastor, what do you mean by people of the flesh? 
I'm talking about people whose who's, who's, who's goal or aim is to follow the desires that, that meet their physical flesh. That, that's, that's where we, we look to satisfy and find satisfaction in the things that, that are the things of this world. Where I continue to struggle because like Esau, Esau who sold his birthright, right? Because he was wanting to satisfy physical hunger. Couldn't see beyond, didn't value beyond. And yet was sorrowful afterwards. Are you just trying to, to meet the flesh? Are you, are you continually falling into the pattern that, that what moves you emotionally and what controls you is the appetites of the flesh, the desires of the flesh? Then, then in your, your relationship with the Lord, you're stuck in the infancy stage. You see, Jesus wants you to overcome the flesh. Jesus wants you to grow in your faith. He, he didn't just die for you so that you get a pass and, and I stand before God and I'm, I'm in eternity. He wants you to experience life and victory today. Life and victory today over the flesh and to grow in your relationship with him. Learning how to walk in obedience. Learning how to walk in faithfulness. Learning how to allow the Lord to heal the shadow areas in your heart that impact not only your fellowship with God, but your fellowship with one another. That's maturity. The moral test, are you... Are you walking in obedience to God and his word and his commands? Are they becoming internalized in your heart? The social test. How's your relationships with one another? Is your relationship with Christ transforming and healing you in such a way that it, that it changes how you relate and love one another in the body of Christ? And the maturity test. Are you growing in your faith in Jesus, are you growing or are you stuck in a stage of development? As we begin to, to look into these things and ask these questions and allow these questions to be a test of whether our faith is genuine, I want to ask you to say, Holy Spirit, will you show me in my life? I mean, you know, sometimes we can think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Sometimes we can be blind to areas in our lives. So as the worship team comes, I want to invite you this morning to begin to say, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Holy Spirit, show me those areas in my life, those areas in my life where maybe I'm not walking as I should. Maybe I'm not walking in obedience to your word. Maybe I have some strife and jealousy or or, or discord in my relationships with others and I'm struggling to love others. Maybe I'm stuck and I'm not really growing in my faith. I'm not really moving in my faith. Let those be tests to say, God, what do you want to do in my heart? And ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now, we ask you to search our hearts. Holy Spirit, right now, we ask you to search our hearts. Jesus, my desire, there is no manipulation. My desire is that you, you would begin to speak to hearts. Holy Spirit, one of, one of the roles that you play as counselor and advocate is also the one who brings conviction in our lives. And Father, if there are areas of our life where we are not in right relationship with you, Jesus, I pray right now for the conviction of your Holy Spirit that you would illuminate those things, not in a desire to harm, but because you love us and you want us to grow. You want us to heal. You want us to walk in forgiveness. You want us to walk in grace. You want us to walk in light. You want us to walk in peace. And so, Jesus, right now, I just pray that you would begin to shed light in our hearts and you would begin to illuminate the areas where we need to take a step of growth, where we need to confess an area of sin, where we need to allow you to bring an area of healing into our hearts. We thank you and we love you, Jesus. We just ask for you to do that in our hearts right now. Right now, if there... If Jesus is just inviting you, maybe you have never, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never come and, and confessed your sin and asked him to forgive you of your sin. If that's you this morning and, and you say, pastor, I need, I need to be saved. I need forgiveness for my sin. I, I need eternal life. I need to come to faith in Jesus. I need to do that today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I just need a relationship with Jesus I need forgiveness of sin in my life. I need a relationship with Jesus. Is there anyone at all this morning? You just by an upraised hand say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I want to respond to you today. Secondly, you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor, the Holy Spirit has just been showing me that there's areas in my life where I need to grow. There's areas in my life where I need to grow. Maybe it's in relationships with others. Maybe there's some hurt that needs to be healed or maybe... Maybe you just say, I just, I've been in the same place for a long time and I, I need to grow. Whatever it is, if there's just that need, will you slip up your hand and just say, Pastor, will you remember me as you close in prayer this morning? Will you remember me? That's where I'm at. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, right now you've seen the hands that are raised. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to move right now. Jesus, that we would move as we grow in you, that God, you would bring healing. You would bring healing in those areas, Lord, of our, our life where maybe we've been hurt, where maybe, Father, we're harboring offense or we're harboring unforgiveness or, or God, there's, there's woundedness inside of us that's impacting our relationships with others or maybe there's sin or selfishness that needs to go. Father, maybe we're not obeying your commands as we should. Maybe we're stuck struggling in the same things over and over or struck, stuck in, in a particular place in our walk with you and we need to grow. Jesus, I pray that right now you would begin to do a work, a beginning work inside, a transforming work. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to transform us in the name of Jesus. Transform us in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you and bless you and thank you that you love us enough that you give us these areas like a mirror that, that we can look into that can be a reflection, a testing God to know that we have a faith that is genuine 
in you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.